Let's get started. Parsha Shlach. Did anybody have a chance to look at the Parsha? Kind of. Kind of. Okay. Starts from chapter 13. Okay. What do we have? What do we have? Spies. So the first four aliyahs really are talking about the, the biggest story of the Parsha, right? It's talking about the spies, which we're going to go back to and we're going to discuss a little bit more. Okay. If somebody helps me, where is the fourth aliyah? Oh, wait. I lost it. Wait. One sec. We're going to come back to the, because the spies really take the first four aliyahs, almost the first four aliyahs. The oh, end of the fourth aliyah. The fourth aliyah is 26. Ch- uh, um, line 26. Fourth aliyah or fifth? The fourth. The fourth. The end chapter of the. Chapter 14, line 26. Okay, so wait. Okay, so the fourth aliyah starts from chapter 14, verse 26, but that still is talking about the spies. But if you go towards the end of that aliyah, like. Literally the end of the fourth aliyah. Um, the fourth aliyah is long. It's very long. And, and yesterday my son came and was like, oh, it's not such a long chomish. I'm like, actually, I'm like, it's going and going and going. I don't know why I think this was a short one. The end of this, the end of this aliyah has two things. First of all, it has a story of the people, we could call it the day after. The day after the spies debacle goes down, there's a group of people who say, we made a mistake. We're going. We're sorry we doubted you, Hashem. And what does Moshe say? No. Nuh-uh. Lost the opportunity. That window has closed. That ship has sailed. You're out of luck. And they're like, no, 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 no. We really want to go. So they, they go. And what happens? Check it out. Check it out. Chapter 14, verse 44, 45. What happens to the people who say, we're going to go to the land of Israel, even though Hashem said, no, no, you can't go. What happened to them? They insisted. They went, and then what happened? And Amalek. The, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, the Amaleki and Kanani who were living on the mountain swept down and smote them and crushed them as far as for Right, this Crushed. place. Okay? They, they, they get totally, totally, totally killed. Who and, people? Huh? The, Which, th- these group of people are called the Mapilim, um, and they said, we're going to go... So they're not the spies. The Maraglum are the spies. The Mapilim are the people who, after the spies... That whole situation went down. They're like, oh, we're so sorry. We're going to do this. We're going to do this. We're going to do this. And Moshe's like, really don't. Really don't. And they're like, no, no, we're going to go. We're going to go. They go and they all get killed. Parenthetically, um, uh, tradition has that of the Ma'apilim, anybody know one of the people who was one of the Ma'apilim? One, one opinion. Anybody? No, that was Korach. No, not Korach. Slavchad. Slavchad. I know it's not a memorable name, but at the end of the 40th years, at the end of the 40 years, when his daughters come and say, our father died in the desert, and he was not part of the Korach rebellion, Rashi there says, he was one of the, there's two opinions, but one of them, at least two opinions, I, I correct myself, one of them is that he was part of these mafilim, these people who were like, oh, no, no, God, we're so sorry. We made such a big mistake. Let us go. And they went and they were killed. So that is, that's, that's what we have. That's one thing. The last thing that we have in, the, in that aliyah, in the fourth aliyah, like we said, it's like the aliyah that never ends. The end of the fourth aliyah is, it opens up chapter 15. Hashem says to Moshe to speak to the Jewish people, Ki tavo el when you come to the land of your inheritance, and he gives them the laws of bringing wine with your carbon. It's called a nesech, right? It's, called, it's wine that gets poured on the mizbeach, and they're given that mitzvah. So the first thing that Hashem tells these people 
because they just we're gonna go back to the spy situation, but they just got crushed and like, oh, this is this is never gonna happen. The Mapilim they got crushed. No, the Mapilim got killed, but the people we're gonna go back to the spies, but they're like. Yeah, this is never going to happen. Hashem gives them a, mit- a mitzvah that is only going to take effect once they go into the land of Israel. Okay? So he's really kind of hooking for them. No, you will go. You will go. We're going to have a little bit of a detour along the way. It's going to take us a little longer than we thought, but we're going to get there. Okay? The next thing, then the fifth Aliyah talks about, this is also still talking more about the wine that you bring. And then the sixth aliyah talks about the mitzvah of challah, and the mitzvah of challah, okay? And interesting enough, a mitzvah of challah is the only mitzvah that we could still do, that we do out of Eretz Yisrael, and we do take challah today. We don't eat it. We don't eat it. We burn it, right? We, take, we don't take enough as the, the halachic measurement is, because we're going to burn it. We're not going to give it to a coin, so it's like we don't want to waste it. But we do, we do take challah, and even in the times of the Beis HaMikdash, in Chutzlar, it's even if you were not in the line of Israel, you, were, uh, you, had, a, you had a mitzvah to take challah, as opposed to anything else that was temple-related. What? The, it, right, so I think it says like it's a, a person, like a private person, I think it's a 24th of their dough, and a baker is, I think, a 48th of their dough. But somebody should double-check me. Somebody should double-check me. Listen, you're giving, a, you're giving the gift to the Kohen. So you're not giving him a little ball. You're going to give him a challah, right? He's own challah. His challah is going to be challah. And he has to <laughs> eat it. And he has to eat it in holiness, which is one of the reasons why we don't have it now. There's two actual reasons why we don't give challah today. Could somebody please put on the ear? I'm dying right yes. I'm sorry. Thank you. Um, there's two reasons why we don't give challah today. First of all, because uh, the Kohanim are not tahor. They're not, they, they, everybody's in a state of Tumah. Um, but even though there's a principle that Tumah, Hutra, Betzibur, that if everybody is impure, then, yeah, yeah, no. If everybody's impure, then um, you could still do it. But there's also a part where we don't actually 100% know who is in fact a Kohen. So because we know, we kind of have an idea. So there's certain things that we do give a Kohen today. They get the first Aliyah, you're not allowed to, ask them to do work. There's all different kinds of things. You know, the first aliyah, and they bench, and all these kind of things. Um, so for that, it's enough. But to give them truma, that they have to make a bracha on it, that we're not 100% sure. So that's another reason why they don't get, why they don't get chal yet. Question, comment. You're spot on. If you're a private household, a 24th. And if you're a baker, then yeah. a 48th. You were exactly How do you like that? The random stuff wrong. stuck in my head. How do so you like that? when did we stop? When there's no base of mikdash. So when the second one... Yeah, yeah, at the end of the Second Temple, because you can't bring, you can't bring, first of all, you can't bring it if they can't eat it in, in, in Tahara, mm-hmm. right? So I would imagine that in this, by the end of the Second Temple, like, by the time it was destroyed, everything was a mess anyway. So, like, that was, that was a, a bit of a balagan going on over there. Okay? I have another question. Yes? With Kutzlar, that, that, if you're near, like, the Chagoyesh, they have to Oh, yeah. She's saying only Jewish cemeteries make a Kohen in here and not non-Jewish. So right. Okay, so it's interesting. It's interesting because halachically, and I, I, I don't want to get into it because I don't know enough to speak 100% authoritatively, but halachically, all of Chutzlarz is considered cemetery. I mean, if you look at Jewish history, you kind of like see where that's coming from. But um, yeah, so I, I don't know what it... Meaning today, because we have no Beis HaMikdash, 
and we have no way to get tahor, everybody's, everybody has some kind of, you know, level of tumah just by the fact that we live and we exist and, and we don't know exactly where we're going. Um, what does that mean for long-term ramifications? Mashiach's going to come. We'll find out the answer. We'll say, oh my gosh, never thought of that. We'll have millions of red cows. Mm, I, you know what? I don't think you need millions. If you have, you need a little bit of ash in the water. I'm learning this now in Mishnah. It's so complicated. Oh my gosh. It's like, whatever. They're not going to rely on me for the laws. I promise you. But it was just, I'm like, I don't even know if there's a little bit of ash in the water. Who's over there? I'm like, mm, I'll learn this and know some of it, understand a little, very little bit of it and hope somebody else knows this better when the Mashiach comes. Okay. Um, yeah, exactly, right? Okay, the next thing that happens is we have a random... Okay, it's not really random because it's Tyra. But we have um, the, the commandment. What happens if everybody does something that's a vodazar that they didn't know? Right? If, of what? if they did something, the basin said you could do this, and then if that, they found out that that was in fact a vodazar. So, there's a, a so there's a special oh. sin offering. Now the question we want to know is, why is it here? Why would that offering be here? We got lots of we're, involuntary. Where do yeah, but but where do we have all where do we have the majority of our carbonus? Right? Which book? Um, this. Exactly, the book before this. In Vayikra, right? In Leviticus, we have so many carbonus. Why do we have it over here? Why do we have it over here? And perhaps the, the you know it's been postulated that perhaps because Leviticus Chomish Vayikra talks about things that are holy. They are the, all the things that are very, very holy. But Midbar talks about our life and how we integrate that into our life. Now, if we were super really holy, would we actually really do Avodah Zarah in the finest thing? No, but real life is we make mistakes. But and that's. What? In Vayikra, all over Vayikra. That's yes, true. correct, correct. But here we're talking about Avodah Zarah that you didn't know. Like, there, it's, it's not, I'm not saying that's the, that's the only answer. I mean, I'm not God, but. Like one of the answers that's postulated is the fact that there are certain things that really are a human condition, and that's why we have it in Bamidbar, not in Vayikra. Vayikra, we talk about karbonis. Yes, there are sin offerings in Vayikra also, but we talk about the things that we. First of all, we talk about lots of karbonis that we bring to become closer to Hashem. We also have sin offerings that we do when you know you made a mistake. But this place of the not knowing and the somehow being hidden from everybody, that becomes like very much more perhaps one could say, more of our human story than our holy story. And Tyra talks to both parts of those. We have the holy part of us, and we also have the human part of us. And our human part also strives to go up and to be holy. And that, perhaps that's why this is here in a section that seems to be talking a lot about some human um, not shining moments, shall we say. Right? We're going to get back to the Mirage and we totally skip that. Okay. And the next thing that we have here is um, wait here's more kabbana. One second. Okay, now the end, end, end of our parsha we have two things. Okay, it's going to pick up from chapter fifteen, verse thirty-two. The Jews are in the desert and they find somebody desecrating Shabbos. Desecrating Shabbos. There's a whole question. It's he's in, ver- in chapter. Uh, if you're following along, 15, verse 32. The question actually is, what was he doing? He's Mekoshesh Eitzim. What, what does that even mean? Is he gathering wood? Is he, is he cutting wood? It's a whole conversation, but, but, the, but it's very, very clear that, um, that he's, he's desecrating Shabbos. And, and they bring him to Moshe. And 
And what happens? He should be put to death. Okay, now I want to say a few things about putting people to death. Okay, first of all, we don't do it so easily. It looks like it's kind of easy in the Torah. We don't kill people so easily in the Torah. In fact, if we ascertain that somebody has a death wish, we can't kill them. You know, like we talk about suicide by police. It's like an American concept. Um, that we can't, you, somebody really just wants to kill themselves and they do something that will cause them to be killed. So you're not allowed to kill such a person. Okay, now we're chapter 15, verse 32, 33. It's towards the end of the, it's towards the end of the parsha. Um, now, with, now here, with this situation, to kill somebody from Bastin, first of all, they need to have witnesses who are with them before they start and say, you know, if you do that, you're liable for kill, being, you're going to be killed. Yeah, it's, it's Shabbos, you're not allowed to do this, and you're going to get killed. And they have to tell them again in the middle, and they have to tell them when they finish, and the person has to not be crazy, mm-hmm. right? They have to be so conscious that so deliberately being, um, uh, whatever, d- deliberately sinning, that they're going to not pay attention to the people who are warning them along the way. So like the, all the, for all those times, in case you're worried, all those times that we by mistake went to the bathroom and flipped on the lights, you're not getting killed for that. We're not getting killed for that. We're good for that. I mean, we should be more careful, but we're not getting killed for that. The question is deliberate, deliberate desecration of Shabbos with warning, with witnesses. And there's like a whole conversation in the Gemara and the Mishnah is about how, we, how this goes on. So it's not such, So then the question is, what was he doing? What was he doing? And most of the commentators talk about the idea that he was trying to prove a point. After the spies, he was trying to prove that mitzvahs really count. That just because they didn't end up going to the land of Israel, but still mitzvahs are important. And, it, and to the extent that Hashem will kill you if you break the law, when, it, when that's punishment. Which then, one, which then raises the question of... Um, can you do something? Can you do an avera for the greater good? A question. Yes. Do you know what I mean? Like, if, like, he knowingly, like, he knew the laws and he knowingly broke the laws, therefore, yeah. he put to death. How come, I think it's in the Gemara, there's that Tachan who was teaching on his course on Shabbos, he knew the laws and he was purposely breaking Shabbos. Right. How come there was, like, no... Why wasn't he killed? Yeah, why were there no issues there? No, nobody's saying there were no issues over there. That's, there's nobody's saying there's no why issues there. Why was he killed for doing that? If he, like, he, he knew the laws, like, he, he knew he was doing oh, it. Oh, it was after. With after, yeah. It's not so, I want to just say, it's not so easy to kill, to kill people. So to say, oh, these seem to have pieces that parallel, I get it, and, but it's not, the stories are not the same. Um, and, and I think it raises a bigger question of when do we do things like for the greater good, we're trying to prove a point, and and clearly that's, uh, I don't know, seems to be. Uh, I'm gonna just say let's let's say that's complicated. Let's say that's complicated. There is an opinion, by the way, that this person who's gathering the wood on Shabbos was Slavchad. The two main opinions that we have are actually both in this parsha. Was he part of the Malpilim? Was he the Makoshish Eitzim? What was going on over there? That's the, those are the sort of the two most common opinions about who who these people were. Um, and, and I think at the end of the day, we, it's quite fair to say, like, you know, in, Ameri- in English is an expression, the road, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. Like, at the end of the day, with all the good intentions, we've never all totally kept Shabbos since then. Yeah. 
You know, we've never, like, to get everybody to do it properly isn't happening. Now, if you go to Mafter, go to the end, to verse 36, Hashem says to Moshe, saying, Dabra b'nei shova martelehem, tell me where this seems familiar. Vasulehem tzitzit. They should make... Oh, this is the, the, the after Shema. Exactly, third paragraph of Shema is right here. Third paragraph of Shema is here. We talk about to make tzitzit on the corners of your garment, um, okay. and you should have a ptil tchelet, you should have this, this uh, sky color thing. And you should have them, and you should remember all the mitzvahs, blah, 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 blah. Um, and if it, this, so we have the whole thing over here. We have the mitzvah of tzitzes over here at the end. Um, now we have to start talking about the parsha. but I want to just say one thing, that the, the, the Medrash says that after the story of the person who desecrated Shabbos, Moshe says to Hashem, what do you expect, what do you, what do you expect the people to do? Because... Every day they put on tefillin and they see the tefillin and they remember that they should keep Shabbos. But on Shabbos, no, they remember that there's Hashem and they should do mitzvahs, right? But on Shabbos, they don't put on tefillin. So how are they supposed to remember to do mitzvahs? Like they forgot. So that the tzitzis is almost Hashem responding to Moshe, giving something that will remind you on a daily basis of Shabbos or not Shabbos, that there is a God and there are mitzvahs and we're Jews and we're supposed to do mitzvahs. We're going to talk about women and tzitzahs in a second. Ooh. Okay, we're going to talk about that in a second. But I want to go, I want to, I want to go back to the beginning for a second because we literally just glossed over the whole situation with the, with the spies, okay? And I think it's beyond important, especially if the whole parsha is called shloch and like half the parsha is talking about that. Let's talk about this, okay? So first of all, a couple of things. To get a full story of anything, you have to put, there are two times that most stories are told in Torah. They're told here, and where else? Where else do we have the story? Devarim. In Devarim, in Deuteronomy. And Moshe goes over the, sto- the history with the people. He says, he gives them the thing. And then when you, can, when you put the two stories together, you get a fuller picture. So in Devarim, in Deuteronomy, Moshe says, you all came to me and you all said we should send spies. So I went to Hashem. So when we open up our Parsha that says, Hashem says to Moshe, Shlach lecha anashim, you know, take, you know, choose people, and they should vayasur es eretz kenan. If anybody know, everybody knows the root of vayasur to lator. Tayar. Oh, like a tourist. Like a tourist, go take a birthright trip, go check it out, go see what's going on. One person per tribe, and then they go and they 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 pick. They, we have a list of the people who do, who go. These are not like people who were just hanging around in the shuk who had nothing better to do with their time. These are leaders. These are all great people. And Moshe says, we have the names of all the people. And Moshe says to them, he sends them in, in verse 17, Latorit Eretz Kanan, again, to sort of visit, scout, maybe to be a tourist. Um, and tell, he told them how to go up in the, go up in the south Go up the mountain, east of Masarts, go see the land. Mahi, what is the land? What are the people that sit there? Are they strong? Are they weak? Are they many? Are they few? Or actually, are they few or are they many? What's the land like? Bring back some fruit. Do they live in fortified cities? Right? The whole shebang. What are they doing? Go get us some information, right? So they go. They go. They come back. It's interesting, by the way. It, it has a conversation about the fruit that they bring back, right? What do we know about the fruit? By the way, whoever did, whatever, whoever made the Torah's, the Ministry uh. of Tourism image, Pasha got it wrong. What's the image? 
It's so, okay, people carrying grapes. Two people carrying grapes. I'm like, hello? That's not our image for tourism. They messed up so big time. But the, 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 the Chumash tells us it took eight people to carry a cluster of grapes. Wow. It took one person to carry a pomegranate, one person to carry a fig, and Kalev and Yeshua don't take anything. By the way, we skipped the part where Moshe changes his name. We're going to get to that in a second. To Hoshea, to Yehoshua, he adds a Yud to his name. Um, it's interesting, the Zohar talks about the idea that when the people went to take the fruit, the fruit didn't want to let itself be picked. Hmm? It's in the Zohar. The Zohar says the fruit didn't want to let itself be picked because this isn't, this isn't what Hashem wants. Exactly, is it okay? So the people said, so the, so the people said, we're going to kill Yeshua and, and Kalev, and then we'll take the fruit. Like somehow there was, so Yeshua is like diving and like, fruit, please let yourself be picked. So, you know, so we could like not get killed over here. Um, and, and so the fruit actually was, was also fighting. Now, the people come back. They come back. Hashem, I, I, there are a couple of things that are going over here. They come back after 40 days. They go to Moshe and Aaron, and they cause havoc, hysteria. It's crazy what goes down. And we have to actually look at this and say two things. One, what was their agenda? And B, why did the people get hysterical? Right? You could have, like, you know they say, if, you know, what if you threw a war and nobody came? Right? It takes two people to come hysterical. Like, why did the people buy into that hysteria so easily as well? You know? So, so we're going to look at that for a second. And, okay, let's try to make some sense of this. First of all, first of all, why does Moshe send, why does Moshe send the people at all? Right? Why does Moshe send the spies at all? Because you see, in the beginning... It says, uh, it says, Shlach uh, Lecha, the second Rashi says, Ledaitcha, whatever you think. Moshe asks Hashem, Hashem's like, whatever you think. Like, when did Hashem ever tell Moshe, it's up to you, whatever you think is a good idea to do, you're going to do a good idea, right? Um, and and Hasidus has a whole conversation about going into the land of Israel and how do we start to own that reality, Right? So when they're going in, you know, in, in Dvarim, it actually gives the example where Moshe thought the people were going to not go. If he gave permission. If he gave permission, right? He's like, if you, can it do this? Can it do this? Can it do this? Yes, yes, yes. Can I try to test it? Sure, no problem. He didn't think the people were going were gonna to like just even go along with it. They're, they're like, oh, we trust you so much that we're going to go along with this. There's a lot, a lot of conversation that goes on. There's a lot of conversation that goes on. First of all, like what were the people thinking? Okay, I'm not even talking about, before we talk about Hasidus, I'm talking about what were the leaders that went in? These were leaders of the people from, at some point, very early, something goes weird in that mission and Moshe is already nervous, right? Moshe adds a letter to Hoshea's, it changes him from Hoshea to Yehoshua, because he's already nervous. Now he's, you know that he wasn't, he didn't have enough to say abort, abort, abort. But there was something there that said, I'm not sure about this. And what does Rashi say? Rashi says he adds the Yud. 
that Hashem should save you from the advice of the Meraglim. He doesn't say it's, it's not a sin. There's some kind of advice that's going down. There's some kind of machinations. Isn't that a nice word? Ooh. Nice word, thank you. Um, that, are, that, are, that, that Moshe's uncomfortable with. And, Hashem, and Moshe says to Yeshua, I need you to like hold your space. I need you to like really be firm in who you are and not get drawn along to what the people are. Whatever their ideas, you need to really remember who you are and what you are. What, how does Moshe do it? He gives him the letter Yud. First of all, Hoshea starts with the letter Hey. You add a Yud, you now have Hashem's name there. Some of them are talk about that the Yud represents Yisrael and Yerushalayim, B'nai Yisrael and Yerushalayim, that Yehoshua has to remember who he's representing in this mission. Who is he really doing? Is he looking for his own best interests? Or is he, or is he out for the Jewish people? What's best for the Jewish people? The Medrash has a, a fascinating thing. Where did the Yud come from? Anybody know? Sarai. From Sarai. When Hashem changes Sarah's name, the Yud says, excuse me? What about me? What about me? I was with a tzaddik, and now you're just taking me off. Now, it's interesting. Like, there are so few letters that you have to recycle the Yud from Sarah's name to Yehoshua. Like, so the Medrash says that the Yud complained to Hashem and said, I was connected to a tzaddik, and now you're taking me off, and that's not fair. So Hashem says, I got another thing in store for you. I'm going to give you, I'm going to, give you to Yehoshua. What does that mean, giving the Yud of Sarah's name to Yehoshua? Maybe, maybe it was specifically Sarah. What do we know about Sarah? What was her focus? What was everything that she did? Jewish people. For the Jewish people. For the Jewish people. The first, everything that she did was Yitzchak, the Jewish people. Not Avraham Universal, but very particular to the Jewish people. Who do we, who, for whom is the first part of Eretz Yisrael purchased? For Sarah. For Sarah. So when he gives the Yud of Sarah's name, he's not just giving a random letter that has nothing else to do. He's giving her intense chibas ha'aretz, her love of the land, and her, and her focus, and her attention, and that's where Yahushua is going. Now, what did we, who remembers what we said last week about Yahushua? Where does Yahushua end up in a funny position? Oh, so people, it would be Miraglim because he said, like, oh, no, it's fine to go there. And then there's people were no. profiting about him entering the Israel. Exactly. He said, don't, but, but there was this prophecy that Yoshua, Moshe's going to die and Yoshua's going to take them into the land. So Yoshua, there's a certain place. Oh, yeah, we should go to the land of Israel, Yoshua. That would be a great idea. You just want to get rid of Moshe and you want to be the leader. Right? So there's a place where Yoshua, in a way, gets sort of muffled, but also everybody knows that Yehoshua is Moshe's person. Like, it's, that's it. He's Moshe's guy. So he's like, always like a little bit, sort of, they're not sure, so sure about him. Who's the dark horse here? Kalev. Kalev is the dark horse. And what does Kalev do when he goes, when he, when he first comes here to Israel, what does he do? He prays to He goes to Maris Machpelah. He goes, he takes himself off to Hebron, and Rashi says he goes to Davin again, not to be influenced, 
by the ideas of the Miraglim. I mean, it wasn't even the behavior at this point. The behavior is going to kick in later. But the ideas and that place of where do we start stepping off the path that we want to be on when we surround ourselves with people who their ideas are just slightly not in line with what we actually know to be true. This is not what Hashem wants of us. This is not what Hashem is looking for us to do. Hashem is saying, go and check out the land. He didn't go say, spy the land. He said, like I said, go take a birthright trip. Okay, it's 40 40 days, not 10 days. Go see what's going on, have some falafel, have some iced coffee and come back. The people come back and they have some very, 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 very good complaints. They have some very good complaints. Um, First, by the way, parenthetically, one of the things that, that the Ramban talks about, Nachmanides talks about, is that the leaders didn't want to go into Eretz Yisrael because they knew that they would no longer be the leaders. They were matim, they were appropriate for the people in this space. But once you go into the land of Israel, there's different things that are needed and different requirements for leadership in that particular case, and they're not going to be needed over there. And still, we like... Moshe must have known that. He was such an amazing leader. He didn't just randomly pick people. So that's just something in the back of our head to think about. The people come back. They have very, very, very valid things to say. What do they come back and say? Everything's big. Hmm? Everything's big. First of all, 27. It starts in verse 27. First of all, they come back and they show the people the fruit. They say... The land that we came to, Eretz Zavat Chalav Udvash, that's what you said, the land flowing in milk and hurry, and these are, and these are its fruit. And, and then they say, but people are massive. And they use an expression that Hasidus holds, first of all, they name drop, like the negative name drop. Amalek is there. These people that we've had fights with are there. This is no good. And that's part of the reason that they're going to start to scare the people, because it's like the trigger, like, oh, I'm like, we've been there, done that. We don't really want to go there. Caliph silences all the people. And Rashi says, what did he say? He's like, is that all that Moshe did for us? He, took, he brought us out of the Midbar. He added, sorry, he brought us out of Egypt and he gave us the money. He gave us his love. He's like, he's taking care of us. And nobody wants to hear anything. And at this point, there is literally mass hysteria going on. And one of the things that they say to them, they say to them, and I'm trying to find it, Oh, here, in verse 32, they, 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 they start like talking Lashon Hara about the land that they had gone to see. Um, and they say, the land that we went through, Eretz Ochelet Yoshvehi. It's a land that eats its inhabitants. Oh, yeah. And, and these are the people, they're, 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 they're massively big. And we saw all these, these people who had once been giants, like, we can't do this. We just can't do this. And, and I want to I wanna stop and I want to, Look at the, I want to look at the story from their point of view because they're right. Everything they said is right. What was their problem? What was their, what was their main problem here? Were the people not dying wherever they went? Yes, people were dying. Rashi says it was a chesed for them that they should, people should be very busy with funerals and not notice these people. They talk about the people looked at us like we were grasshoppers and that's how we looked at ourselves. Modern psychology right there in the Torah, right? How do we, how do we, over here, it's, uh, no, actually the verse, we were like grasshoppers in our own eyes 
and that's how we were in their eyes. So a lot of stuff going on over here. And, the, and Rashi says that they heard, the people were so tall that they heard people saying to each other, look at the grasshoppers with human faces. So like, none of this is not correct. None of this is not correct. So, you know, don't ask a question that you can get, that you can't get, a, the, you know, you can't get a no to the answer. You can't get no as an answer. What did they do wrong? Moshe said, go tell me about the people. Go tell me about the land. Go tell me about, bring me the fruit. They did that. They did that. What are you shouting again for? The, why do you end up with a horrible death? The people, these 10 people get killed on the spot in terrible, horrible ways. The rest of the people, 40 years in the desert, you're not going anyplace. You're all going to die here. Bemet? Like, don't send me on a, on a, a thing if you don't want to hear what I have to say. If you don't want to hear what I have to say, why would you say that? Why would you send me? Tell me, no, you can't go. So a lot of them are going to talk about the, there's one word here in verse 28, and the word is ephes. However, they were not asked to give a judgment call. They were asked to say how to do it. Hashem said, we are going to Eretz Yisrael. Well, it was Eretz Canaan then. The question wasn't, can we do it? The question is, we're going from a miraculous living to a normal living. The normal way people go when you want to go conquer a country is you check it out. Where, do we, where should we come from? Where should we attack? How should we do it? That's normal. Life isn't miraculous. Life is normal. So it's very normal for them to send the spies, which is why Moshe actually sends them. We're supposed to be going, moving into this place of a conquest of Eretz Yisrael, which isn't only the geographical location. But that internal space of making our will Hashem's will, right? Which is kind of for us the more, the little bit more relevant. Hashem isn't asking, can we do this job? He's telling us we can. How do you do it? Okay, you're going to do it one way. You're going to do it another way. Another person going to do it a third way. That's legitimate how to do it. To come back and say, we can't do it. It's impossible. That's what the problem was. Don't come and say to me, no, no, no. Hashem didn't say. We're checking to see if we could. We're going. How do we do it is the question. Okay? Now, I want to just point out something. If you look at the beginning of the Parsha, oh, we've been plenty of time to them. If you look at the beginning of the Parsha, okay, where Moshe gives directions, um, if you take a look in verse 13, verse 18, it says that you'll see the land... Um, from before, from 17. He sends them to scout the land and go up here and see the land and blah, 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 right? Now, if you go bookend to the end of our parsha, Tetzitzis, Tetzitzis, what do we have over here? In verse, uh, chapter 15, verse 38, sorry, 39. What do we have here? Mm. Read Hannah. It shall constitute tzitzis for you, that you may see it and remember all the commandments of Hashem and perform them, and not explore after your heart and after your eyes, after which you stray. Okay, mm. our parsha is opening up with them going, getting the command to go look, to go see, to explore, and they messed up. And the protection that we get is at the end. It's a tzitzis at the end that says... You need this so you could see it. You need this so that you could remember and not latour. Do not sasur. Do not get drawn off after your eyes. It's, 
And one of the things that's very interesting, if you look at Tzitzis, I think Rashi brings over here, that what's this idea of this, this, this tcheles? Like, there's a whole conversation. How do Tzitzis remind somebody about, about, uh, about Hashem? So there's a conversation. The Tzitzis is uh, 600 and something. And then there's eight strings and five knots. So altogether you get 613, whatever the number is. Yeah, eight and three is 13. It's, it's, it's 32 and then something else. No, no, Sitsis would be 600. What? 83 is 13. It's 13. 11. Okay, so then Sitsis is, my math is not good. Sitsis is equal to whatever. Add the strings and the knots, you get 613. You're going to see your member. Rashi brings, I think it's Rashi who brings something else. He says that you will see the trellis, you will remember the sea, which reflects the sky, and you will remember Hashem. You'll see the trellis. So you're, it's not what you're seeing, it's what you're envisioning. Mm-hmm. You're seeing the trellis. You're going to remember, it's going to remind you, it's going to say, oh, see, see, ref, see, reflect sky. Oh, sky, Hashem, mitzvahs, we have to keep mitzvahs, right? So that's, how do we look at Eretz Yisrael? How are we told to look at Eretz Yisrael? Are we told to look at Eretz Yisrael as it is or as it could be? Are we supposed to look at it straight as this is what it is? Or can we look at Eretz Yisrael and say, this is the vision, what it should be. Just like Techelis, it reminds us because it has sea, sky, Hashem. We look at Eretz Yisrael. If we just look plain at what's going on out here, it might not be the most burning situation going on. But can we picture it differently? And historically, that's what Jews have done. We've davened to come back to Eretz Yisrael. We've davened to, we've worked to change and to, because it was bigger than just what you could see in front of your eyes. The vision of it was, was bigger. Now, I said I'm going to talk about women in tzitzis for a second. Um, we know that the practical answer is we don't wear tzitzis because tzitzis are time-bound positive mitzvahs. Okay, you're only supposed to wear mitzvahs during the day when you can see them and remember, da-da-da-da. Okay, but if we look at it as a bookend, who were the people who did not join the spies? The women. The women. Like, in, like with the golden calf. Like with the golden calf. Like every single time we had a situation with God against the Jewish people, the Jewish people was the men. The women were never, they were always on the God side. So when we say, when we're looking at tzitzis, now tzitzis, parenthetically, there's no actual mitzvah to wear tzitzis, right? If you have a four-cornered garment, it needs to have tzitzis, which is why if you go on my note, you'll see people with their ponchos that have tzitzis on it because it's a four-cornered garment. Um, it has become uh, accepted that we have a garment that is four-cornered so we could put on tzitzis, but that's a custom that's not actually the law. Um, but if we, so meaning there is the law to have tzitzis on anything, but when we talk about tzitzis sort of as the antidote to the maraglim and their vision and what they look like, of course women don't need to wear tzitzis. We don't forget. We don't forget. We remember. We remember Hashem. We're always on the Hashem side. In all the situations, like you were saying, Elisha, the women were never on the, oh, God is bad and we should go back to Egypt. That was, never our, that was never our line. That was never what we were looking for. And we know that what's the end of the story with the spies? The 10 spies, they get killed on the spot. And what happens to everybody else? They were dying during the 40s. They're going to die during the 40 years, right? On Tishabov, and the, the Gemara describes how every Tishabov they used to dig, dig graves, 
and everybody would lie down in the graves, men. and the men would, would dig graves, and the morning, there's a conversation, was it just the people who were turning 60 that year, or was it everybody, and everybody who, but the end was whoever turned 60, that was turning 60 that year, would not wake up in the morning, and, and that's what ended up happening. Now, um, so then what happened, the last year, the last year, the first night, they, they did it, and they woke up, and everybody woke up, and then they figured we miscounted, and they went again, and again, and again, until Tubaav, and um, and they and they were given. They realized they were given a grace period, and the last generation did not go, did not die, and they, they did go into Eretz roll. I want to back up for a second because if you look at Pshat, all this whole story is just a crazy story. It's just a crazy story. Like, how do you make such a massive mistake? How do you make how, they? How could it be a situation where Rashi is quoting on the on the from the Pasuk, the Pasuk says that the, the people were, taught, were stronger than us, and Rashi says that really the, they were saying that they're stronger than Hashem. How could people be stronger than Hashem? Where do you get to this place? Where do you get to this? Such a colossal, colossal mistake. Hmm? Which miners? So what did you learn? Yes, yeah, so what does it say? It's sad that they didn't want to leave Dazzard because Dazzard was like learning mitzvahs and living was like it was a spiritual Eretzisrael, but when they go to when they go to physical Eretzisrael, it's like different, different. The rules are different. The rules are different, and the level of serving Hashem is different. They didn't want to like go kind of right. Down. So, so I want to say a few things. First of all, correct. First of all, you can't compare what they knew from desert living to Eretzisrael living, right? Because just because it worked in the desert doesn't mean it's going to work. They're saying to Hashem. And if you did this in the mind, just let me know. They're saying to Hashem, you want us to go live a natural life. Well, natural life means we have to look at what's going on over here. And can we do it? Can we do it? We can't rely on the miracles kicking in. That was desert. We, don't, we can't do that over here. We can, only get, we can only get what we know. Right? We can only get what we know. And, and what we know is these people are too strong for us and we can't do it. What they forgot is that a Jew's regular existence is miracles. What I don't understand is why the Jewish people, like, they saw Hashem perform so many open miracles, so why did they not trust Hashem? So, so one of the things that it talks about in Hasidus is the idea that that was desert reality. In the desert, we live miraculous. We eat water from a rolling well. We have mana. We have all this stuff. That's that reality. That doesn't translate into a normal life and normal following the, the laws of, of, of uh, you know, how nature works. I must have told you this. We once had a student who, who had been to West Point and he went to one of the professors once and he was, he was very upset because one of the things you do in West Point is you study wars to learn how to do war, right? And he said it's very, it's very anti-Semitic that they never teach any of Israel's wars. And he said, I can only teach things that are replicable. I can't teach miracles. Our natural existence is miraculous. So the Jews forgot that very, very, very important point. The very important point is like our, our, the, the air we breathe and the food that we eat and our regular everyday existence is the biggest miracle. So to say, oh, it's only going to be natural, we're never only natural. We're always going to be somehow tied to miracle. And so they thought if it's only natural, we can't do it. But they forgot that that's never going to be our reality. Only natural. That's not our reality. 
the other thing that they talk about, and they are right. And that's why it's always, it's, to me, so special that Shlach is always the last or the second last partial that we do together. Their complaint of Eretz Ochelet Yoshvehi is such a true, is such a true statement. We can be consumed by physicality without blinking. You know, we like, we like to consider this a little bit of a desert. You want to complain about the food, you like it, you don't like it, it may not be mana from heaven exactly, but it's there, it shows up, you don't have to do anything for it. All you have to do is sit and learn Torah and talk about God with people and nobody looks at you like you're crazy. Eretz Ochelet Yoshvehi, if any of us remember what it's like to just do regular life, it is draining, it is exhausting. How do you have, you know, Rabbi Akiva says, not Rabbi Akiva, Rabbi Shem Baruchai says, if we plow wood we're supposed to plow and we harvest when we're supposed to tire, tire matehe what will happen with tire? We, life eats up all of our time just doing our regular survival things. Eretz Ochelet Yoshvehi, it wasn't just the complaint that they saw that the land, people were dying. Eretz, this physicality, it consumes us. It takes us over. It's so hard to say, how do I think spiritual? How do I reach for something more if I, I come home, I'm exhausted? You know, you have a job, you commute. Oh, now you can sit in Davin. For sure, for sure. that's great. That's amazing. But what happens when you actually have to go into the promised land. And, and the truth of the matter is that our promised land is not always going to be Eretz Yisrael. The place that, our, the promised land is where do we go to best serve Hashem? Where, do, where does our avayda take us next? For some people, that's going to be here. You're going to still be in Eretz Yisrael. And for some people, that's not where it's going to be. We're going to be going to other countries, other cities, and trying to integrate Avaidus Hashem and life. And we have to remember that the default is Eretz Ochelet Yoshvehi, that we will be consumed by physicality. We will be taken over by the minutia of life. And how do we remember to breathe and aim higher? It's only going to happen when we plan it and we think about it before. And we remember and remember that at the end of the day, we're never only physical. Our very physical existence is in fact miraculous. And if we can somehow tap into that space, then we can survive Eretz Ochelet Yeshvehi because that's the default. The default is it, physicality, uh, social, whatever it is. It all consumes us unless we make such a concerted effort to tap into our nefesh alokis, our godly soul, that doesn't allow us to be consumed because that's everything around us. So I want to give us a bracha. I want to give us a bracha that we, wherever we go and wherever we... Oh, I want to say one more thing before I give us a bracha. Um, no, I'm going to just give us a bracha. I'm going to give us a bracha. And the bracha is that we look with vision. We envision, not just look with vision. That we see what is possible, not just what is in front of our eyes. That we remember that how we tell the story is what affects other people around us as well. Um, and that we do have a responsibility that we came here, we got a chance to be here, and how do we go and how do we, how do we report about our experience and how do we report about our relationship and how, how does our relationship with Taira and Eretz Yisrael and Hashem, how does that impact and change us? How we tell the story is very, very, very important. It will either cause mass hysteria 
or it will it will not and it will inspire and so our my bracha to us is that we find the words that that sh- we can share our experience in a way that inspires and doesn't freak everybody out everybody around us doesn't freak everybody out um, that we remember that our natural is miraculous and we are capable of absolutely everything we can do everything if we can if we stay connected to Hashem have an awesome rest of the day have an amazing Shabbos and we'll see you guys on Sunday